When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Bloomberg Sound On, the insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi talks infrastructure and mansion once again in the middle. We've got an all-star panel. Plus, Greta Van Susteren joins me, Voice of America's voice, period. Uh, she's going to join us for the second half hour. Good friend of mine. We're thrilled to have her. Plus, Drake and Jeannie as well. I'm Kevin Cerulli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick and Jeannie are with me, our Bloomberg Politics contributors. There's this great story that Peter Martin published today. Uh, crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, the U.S. intel community predicts an increasingly leaderless and unstable world in the coming decades as trends such as artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and climate change reshape the global arena, according to the National Intelligence Council. The coming decades will be characterized by a mismatch between global challenges and the ability of institutions and the system to respond. A fascinating report that I promise you we will unpack coming up later this hour. But we begin tonight with the big story, which is, of course, infrastructure. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure plan an urgent priority that is long overdue and said the U.S. needs to go big with a bill that is transformative. Here's the sound on the transformation. We hope to do this in the most bipartisan way possible. Infrastructure has not been a partisan issue in the past. We hope that it would not be now. I would hope that our part in the House would be largely done before the 4th of July. This country needs a major infrastructure plan, jobs bill that that enables everyone to participate in how we build back better. The most expensive maintenance is no maintenance, and that can cause danger to bridges and the rest. Meanwhile, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm spoke at the White House earlier today. Yesterday, it was Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, and she answered a question about what the infrastructure plan will do to traditional energy sources and how the administration will pivot fossil fuel workers into new careers. Take a listen to the sound on once again, a transformation. I've been talking with my counterparts around the world. There is a huge appetite for a partnership with America on these next generation technologies that will reduce CO2 emissions from that kind of baseline power. Those jobs in those kind of technologies are good paying jobs. Those are jobs that are going to be for welders and sheet metal workers and all of the trades. 
Now let's talk taxes, because earlier today, Business Roundtable CEO Josh Bolton spoke with my colleague David Weston on Bloomberg Balance of Power, and he argued that the Business Roundtable is going to not support any increase in corporate taxes to pay for infrastructure. Here's the sound on his explanation why. We're against the increases in corporate taxes in the administration's proposal, strongly against it. It's... uh, it's a massive tax increase on U.S. business, uh, which uh, uh, which is really damaging, uh, not just to the to the shareholders of uh, of all of those businesses, but to the employees and customers as well, who who uh, bear a large portion of the burden of a tax increase. Jeannie, you hear the sound on all of these different voices. You know what I don't hear? Unity. <laughs> You don't hear unity amongst the CEOs, the corporate uh, structure. You don't hear unity amongst the members of Congress. You know, it was interesting. Listen to amongst Jeff, Democrats. Amongst Democrats. Amongst you know, it was interesting. Um, listening to the second shot you played by Jennifer Granholm. She's right. You know, countries around the world want these partnerships with the U.S. But as usual, our system is so fractured that the tough part is not selling what we hope to do and getting relationships with other countries. It's getting us together at home. And that's where the real work has to be. You know, I got to say, I think I must have taught the professor Zeno something. She just said sot in a sentence. <laughs> I did. You love it. Which is a journalism term and it just warmed <laughs> my heart, Jeannie. Uh, that means sound on tape for those who don't know the, the, the jargon. But that was awesome. Rick, your analysis. That's what we're all about. Yes. Sound on. <laughs> Sound on. I, we uh, should have called, called the show SOT. Sound on tape. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, look, I think Jeannie's right. I think the, the business community is going to be a bit divided on this. It's not surprising that the business roundtable, you know, the board made up of the largest corporations of America uh, are going to oppose a corporate tax. But, uh, but the reality is that, um, you know, the debate is going to be this sort of funky mix between do you want infrastructure, you know, the way the the administration personnel you just played their their statements were saying, uh, crumbling infrastructure, renewable energy, uh, all those things we need. Yes, yes. How are we going to pay for it? Oh, more corporate taxes. <laughs> and so the Republicans are making this all about a tax increase. They're saying it's not about infrastructure. It's about a massive tax increase over the next 15 years for corporations. So it'll be interesting to see how the polling shakes out on this. Uh, Joe Biden, on his stimulus plan, had a big boost from the American public, backing it by over 60%. That gave him wind at his back when he went up to Congress, especially the Senate, to say, hey, we need this. It'll be interesting to see if the tax hikers get the predominance of the message out and if the, the, the public sides with corporations who don't want to pay higher taxes. You know, let's take a listen to more of what Josh Bolton had to say of the Business Roundtable. He went on to make the case that increasing the corporate tax rate would, in fact, make you, the United States as a country less competitive. Here he is. And most important, the, uh, the massive kinds of tax increases that the Biden proposal would impose over the next 15 years on, uh, on U.S. business would make us, uh, once again, the least competitive in the developed world. And especially as we're coming out of the pandemic, but at no time should we be undermining the competitiveness of U.S. business well, it's and, and Jeannie, I mean, Treasury Secretary Yellen would, would argue that, well, that's why they're trying to, to, to have a, a standard rate for the corporate tax rate to stop the race to the bottom, as she outlined it. But again, it, it, it's just, 
you, you hear the Business Roundtable, which is an incredibly influential and important group in Washington, D.C., and really does unify the business voice uh, collectively. And, and I just don't see, I just hear division and I hear doesn't have a chance. And, and what I hear in, in, the, con, in the context of, of unity is that we are seeing the coming together of an argument against Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, which focuses on, mm. yeah, we want infrastructure, but it's going to make us less competitive. It's the same thing Neil Bradley from the Chamber of Commerce said. He said the benefits of infrastructure would be offset by a punitive tax increase. It would make us less competitive. And I'm not quoting him directly, but I think we're seeing the coming together as we usually do in the sausage making time of an argument against this Biden proposal. And Democrats are going to have to work quickly and hard to counter that. And that is a real challenge because the longer this thing takes, the longer the sausage is to make, the less supportive to Rick's point the American public will be. And that is going to be a real problem for the Democrats. Rick, I'm old enough to remember when the Republican Party aggressively criticized Obamacare and then prior to President Trump getting elected, they had to wait until President Trump got elected in order to have a, an alternative proposal. Okay, so what is the Republican proposal, Rick Davis, for paying for infrastructure? Hey, the infrastructure remember, that they agree with. Republicans are out of power. We're the party of dissent, <laughs> not of opinion. And, uh, and so you, I, I don't think you can – look, I mean, even when they were in power, they didn't have an alternative to the Obama – uh, uh, healthcare program, even though they promised one for two dec- almost a decade. So um, uh, I don't think you can expect to see a Republican alternative. You can just expect to see opposition. It's what Mitch McConnell knows how to do well. Uh, and, and, and they are talking out of both sides of their mouth. At one point in time, they'll say, hey, we need infrastructure. People like Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, also a business roundtable board of director, endorses the idea of a of an infrastructure bill uh, in his recent uh, CEO letter. But uh, at the same time, uh, the question is, how do you pay for it? And, and we now have a deal on the table from Joe Biden for a 28% uh, corporate tax. All of these things are going to get negotiated. Whether there's really any bipartisanship uh, related to it is going to be the big question. But at some point, you're going to get a deal where Democrats feel comfortable, especially in the Senate, moving forward with a bill, thinking that they can get this done with 51 votes. I wonder if Greta thinks that uh, a bridge, or, or what are they saying now is, a, is infrastructure, if, if an ele- electric charging station in the infrastructure bill, I wonder if she thinks that's infrastructure. You know, or childcare is infrastructure. Jeannie, I mean, what is the left saying? We'll ask Greta coming up when she joins us. But what, what, do you, what, do you, what is the left saying about, about how, how certain initiatives while well-intentioned, why should they fall under infrastructure? Well, well, we talked yesterday about Kristen Gillibrand. She is tweeting oh, yeah. that all of those things that you just mentioned are infrastructure. And that is, you know, cr- the crux of this debate is not only how do we pay for this thing, but what does and doesn't c- fall under the, this construct of infrastructure. One thing the Biden administration has said, and they are right on this, is when the Republicans have wanted infrastructure, they have gone well beyond what they are now describing as infrastructure. They have included jobs they have included broadband but to rick's point when you are you know when you are not in the majority and all you have to do is poke holes in the other guy's argument
argument, you can make these cases. It is not your obligation to come up with a bill. And so they get the benefit of just responding. And that is something that Democrats are going to have to work hard to respond to in contrast. I mean, candidly, I I never really give my opinion, but digital infrastructure is infrastructure. It's also national security. I mean, there's really no other way to look at it. And broadband, 5G, uh, the, the, the innovation of tomorrow that we've already discovered yesteryear is so incredibly important to maintaining civility, candidly. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Speaking of which, coming up, we're going to talk about what the National Intelligence Council had to say about that emerging technology. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied with Rick and Jeannie, the Rick and Jeannie, Bloomberg Politics contributors. You know, there's this great story by my buddy Peter Martin on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, Peter Martin uh, just arrived in the uh, uh, Washington Bureau a couple of months ago, I guess pre-pandemic now. Uh, and he just wrote this awesome story headline, U.S. spy agencies warn of threats from digital currency to AI. Intelligence report warns of leaderless, unstable world. It literally reads like a, 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 a horror movie from a sci-fi novel. Debt pressures will make it harder to combat climate change. He reports that the U.S. intel community predicts an increasingly leaderless and unstable world in the coming decades as trends such as artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and climate change reshape the global arena, according to the National Intelligence Council. The coming decades will be characterized by a mismatch between global challenges and the ability of institutions and systems to respond. It also notes debt pressures. National governments will have reduced flexibility, according to the report, to deal with challenges such as climate change in the face of growing debt burdens and increasingly diverse trading rules. Digital currencies, meanwhile, the U.S. dollar and the euro, will face threats from digital currencies such as Bitcoin. Quote from the report, privately issued digital currencies could add complexity to the conduct of monetary policy by reducing countries' control over their exchange rates and money supply, the report says. Rick Davis, I mean, we all better wake up. Hyperconnected digital world. Um, yeah. You know, if we thought uh, the world is flat 20 years ago, um, now it's not flat, it's digital. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and there are advantages. I mean, um, one of the things we're going to see is the advancement of machine learning, of robotics, of communication capability all around the world, you know, uh, unlocking a lot of interfaces advanced computing that'll solve a lot of the health problems that we have today. I mean, you know, it's not all gloom and doom, but you're right. It's going to be the new challenges 
in the next 20 years. You remember this, this forecast where we'll be in 2040. And, uh-huh. uh, and I think for every decision maker on Capitol Hill, they ought to be forced to read this because the policies they make today will d- direct how competitive the U.S. is by 2040. And their staffs and their comms directors. The report says about China, assertive China. Although the report says, quote, no single state, end quote, will be able to dominate all regions or domains, intensified U.S. competition with China runs through its pages. The Asian superpower will look to assert dominance in Asia, press U.S. allies to restrict U.S. basing access, and move Taiwan closer to reunification by 2040, possibly through sustained and intensive coercion. They all, it also notes new ways of war. Increased competition between states will result in further nuclear proliferation and an increased risk of interstate conflict. Artificial intelligence genie will, quote, enhance the performance of existing weapons, defenses, and systems. Wow. It, it, it's amazing. You know, we have been talking about competition in the context of this infrastructure bill. And one of the things that Joe Biden's Asia advisor, Kurt Campbell, said not long mm. ago is that there, the United States needs to balance cooperation and competition with China. And we are really far behind in terms of AI applications. China is not only poised to be the bigger economy shortly, but take the mm. lead in manufacturing healthcare transportation as it con- pertains to AI applications. And so this gets back in part to this issue of competition. Can we indeed compete with China if the United States government doesn't invest in things like R&D? Many, many people, and I understand the debate over how to pay for this thing, but many, many people, myself included, believe it is going to be impossible. It takes a government of the size of the U.S. or China to make these strides for us and compete. You can't do it on the back of the private sector alone. So we're going to have to make some hard choices here. You know, what did I read today? This. This is it's called the Global Trends of 2040: A More Contested World. It's a publication of the National Intelligence Council, uh, and it was published. It's about how many pages? It's like 150 pages. Uh, but the report itself, without all the the anecdotes and whatnot at the end, is like 145, 140 pages. It's fascinating. It's incredibly fascinating. Here's a stat that I that uh that uh. They talk about climate change in particular. I just wanted to... Oh, here it goes. U.S. dollar at purchasing power parity, GDP per capita. Uh, in 2020, 19.4 thousand. In 2040, 36.7 thousand. Fascinating. It breaks down religion. In 2040, they predict that uh, 11% of the world will be uh, Christian, but 31% will be agnostic. It's still a slight in- increase. I mean, everything in this report is just is really riveting, and I think Peter Martin's uh, summary of it on the, on the Bloomberg Terminal did an incredible job. Anything that you saw in it, Rick, that stood out for you quickly? Yeah, I really did think that the emergence of technology is the battlefield of the future. You know, both for competition, yeah. but also for uh, uh, fighting of uh, potential conflicts, uh, is really something that uh, that I think is new to the, the the public and also our opinion makers on Capitol Hill. Rick, I'm willing to, to bet my career that you are right on that point. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg.
My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by the panel, Rick and Jeannie. And our next guest needs no introduction. I got to say, I think I called our next guest three times today. You know I'm stressed when I'm calling Greta three times a day. And... (laughs) But it was good news. And in in the year 2021, this is now a thing. Who do you call when you get the call that you can schedule a vaccine? So I I, 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 I called. I texted the fam back home in Delco. Shout out to my mom. And then I texted Greta. I said, Greta, I got the vaccine. (laughs) And – and I, I, and I'm thrilled, Greta. So, so you are that person for me. I know it's so exciting. It is exciting when people get the vaccine. You know, um, I'm, I'm pro vaccine. I'm not one of those people that's telling people to run away from. I say run to it. If you can get it, get it. And everyone should get it as fast as you possibly can. I was a little stressed about it. You know, I, 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 I wanted that vaccine, but I'm grateful. I didn't want to jump the line. Like, you know, I not, not pointing fingers. I should stop talking now. Get out of this hole, Kev. But uh, it's a good day when you get to schedule that vaccine. Right, you know, Rick? And, go ahead, Greta. It's, can I just say it's, it's it's for the first time I can say I'm glad I'm over 65 because you know <laughs> my line started sooner. You know, you know that, I, was, I was so grateful. Jeannie. Greta, that, that's a great point because it's, you know, one of the rare times when being older is really great, but not a rare time because being older is great. Not that you're old, Greta. <laughs> okay, now we're just, you know. I, yeah, you now, two both are digging in yeah, very Rick, deep. I, I mean, Rick, save us. Where's the, Tom Keen needs to call in. Okay, Amazon.com pulled ahead. Let's get to the news. Uh, Amazon pulled ahead as federal officials began counting votes in an historic election to determine whether workers at Amazon in uh, Alabama will become the first in the U.S. to join a retail union. So Amazon, Greta, is holding an early two-to-one advantage in Alabama union vote count. This is obviously a major precedent uh, and, and a major union battle that is at stake here. Just from a broader standpoint, Greta, I mean, how, how important is as the union vote become in 2021? Well, you know, I think Amazon scares many of us because it is such a huge force in the economy. And even, I mean, look at look at what it's doing to different jobs. We're going through an incredible transition, not just because of the pandemic, but Amazon has really changed how we do things, brick and mortar. And and usually, you know, I sort of stay out of these, you know, these battles between you know, possible unions and not possible unions. But, I, you know, I, there's part of me that really wants to put the brakes on how big and how powerful Amazon gets. You know, taking a little bit of a history and looking at antitrust, the effect of these big corporations on the economy and the workers. That you know, I'm, a, I'm nervous watching this one. Well, I, I, I would say one thing. I mean, it's kind of a rigged deal. I, I started my political career in Arizona many, many moons ago when there were more Democrats than Republicans, so you can tell my age. But the reality is, you're having a union vote in Bessemer, Alabama? Come on. Yeah, they don't have any unions in Bessemer, Alabama. This would be the first. So it's not just about... I think not just about Amazon, but like that part of the country, if you're Amazon, you'd, if you had to pick one city in the country to have a union fight, you'd probably start in Bessemer. So um, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions to the outcome, especially if, if it inures to Amazon. That's what you would expect. If it inures to the union, it would be a man bites dog story. Go ahead, Jeannie. Yeah, good point. Jeannie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I was going to ask you, Greta, like with your new show that you're doing um, and you're focusing on, as I understand, how people around the country 
regular everyday folks, in, you know, think about the, the legislation coming out of, of the federal government. Have you heard anything about sort of their views on this kind of union movement out of Amazon and elsewhere? You know, it's, it's hard for any of us to get out any place with this pandemic. We've all been under virtually house arrest. One of the great attributes of being a reporter is that you get out and talk to people. And so we are, you know, pretty much constrained getting finding out what people want. And, you know, frankly, I, I don't think I don't think we can even identify what the new normal is. You know, what's a good new normal for workers in a place like Amazon, what the union's like. I think we're in such a point of turmoil and uncertainty. I think that there's a little euphoria that we're getting out of the pandemic, I hope, with uh, the advantage of these vaccines. But I, I think that we're in for a big roller coaster ride, a lot of uncertainty. And the only thing I do is I sort of go back to sort of the, the sort of the look back in history and think, is it a good thing when a when a corporation amasses so much power? Is that a really good thing? And I happen to like competition. And I I'm think, you know, I tip my hat to Bezos and think, uh, you know, you built a better mousetrap. Congratulations. But I think that this is going to have this is such an extreme impact on, on our economy. And who's been out of the who even buys anything in a brick and mortar store anymore? We all do Amazon. And you think when we get the vaccine, we're going to all of a sudden change our behavior and start going back to those stores. I don't think so. I think I do. You know why I go into the store, Greta, because I'm sick of all those boxes. I mean, everything, all those boxes that come in the mail. This, I want to tie this back to the uh, National Intelligence Report, uh, Council report that came out today. Because, Greta, you're speaking about populism. And this report actually uh, said that permanent populism uh, is going to continue. Polarization along ethnic, religious, and ideological lines, the ideological lines portion is relevant for this conversation, uh, is likely to remain strong. And this is likely to reinforce political dysfunction and heightened risks of political instability. So the populism that we've seen and we've experienced, not just in the United States, but around the world, is only going to continue. And I really think what's happening in Bessemer, Alabama, is the front lines for this particular point. The populism, this is a, a story that, that go, I mean, yes, politicians have, have weighed in on it, uh, but this is something that locally is, is, is a very politically, uh, ideologically diverse issue as well. So coming up, panel's going to stay. They're going to tell me what they're watching out for and what's next. Greta Van Susteren, Jeannie Shanzano, and of course, Rick Davis. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli along with Rick and Jeannie and Greta Van Susteren. We're taking it back to the old school Sound On days. Executive produced by the one and only Christine Barada, produced by Matthew Shirley. And we're going to focus on what's next. And it's where the panel gives me one thing on their radar where they tell me what is next that uh, that they're looking out for. And Rick Davis, I'm going to put you on the spot, and you're going to lead this team. What's next? 
Well, I think you ought to watch the ideological battle within the Democratic Party. It's heating up. You know, AOC says $2.2 trillion Biden infrastructure plan isn't enough. Uh, Elizabeth Warren attacks a filibuster, calling it racist. I mean, like these these folks are getting generated. And uh, and, and and Mitch McConnell, you know, the leader in Congress as a Republican, has basically made it his mandate to turn Joe Biden into a captive of the far left. And so the more they squawk, the harder it's going to be for Biden to actually get his agenda through Congress and potentially reposition the administration as being left to center. And, and that's the danger that I think the White House fears the most. Greta, come in here in terms of uh, analyzing what Rick uh, just argued about the divide right now between the the Democrats. Because the uh, margin is so narrow in the House, just a couple seats, and uh, unfortunately the uh, Democratic congressman died uh, yesterday. It's very sad, Congressman Elsie Hastings. Um, so they, the, so the Democrats lost another seat, and then over in the in the Senate, it couldn't be thinner. So to watch the Democrats sort of fight between them, they don't have to have much of a fight to have all the president's agenda fall apart because they won't be able to get anything passed if they, if they fight at all with among themselves because they're not going to get any Republicans. Jeannie, do you think, I mean, they might as well just fight amongst themselves? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think they should, but we know that they will. This is how laws are made in the United States. And so, the, you know, President Biden has decided to break this into two big bills. They're not going to get a third trillion or two trillion dollar bill after COVID and this first and this first infrastructure bill if they get that, which means every single person has to be vying to get into this bill. And that is a fight. So anybody who thinks they're not going to fight is crazy. They're going to be fighting and the battle is going to be on the Democratic side as Republicans are already taking themselves out of it. And the people in power will be the people like Mansion, like potentially Warner, like potentially you know a Senator from Arizona, who say no, we are we want you to come and negotiate with us. Those are the people who are going to have power to get what they want. Yeah, I think I think that we're all trying to cover infrastructure like it's in the Trump era, where there's just these massive, massive up and down, polarizing fights. When the reality is, it's a lot more boring in terms of the political, and, and I don't mean that in to to be you know, cute. I, I mean it to be candid, which is the U.S. is still likely going to spend more than a trillion dollars. Call it infrastructure, call it stimulus. It's still a hefty hunk of change. And that's likely going to happen by the end of the year. They're also likely going to pass some type of legislative vehicle, the Endless Frontiers Act, which is, by the way, bipartisan, on the U.S. and China front. That's going to really enhance the spending to counter the Communist Party of China. The U.S., has a blank check right now and it's had it ever since COVID-19 and March of last year and and it's going to continue and I I think either way you slice it and dice it. Go ahead, Greg. And and you bring up you bring up China, and I think that's one of the most fascinating and probably troubling issues. You know, we spent the last I don't know eighteen years or whatever it was in Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction that didn't turn out to be, and we lost an awful lot of lives and spent an awful lot of money. And China, meanwhile, was sitting there developing their Belt and Road Initiative, doing all the soft diplomacy all over the year, getting these huge leases on ports and, and helping all over the all over the world and trying to build up some chips. Now we've got the situation with this, this this new director of national intelligence says in this new report that by 2040, China's going to be our most significant rival to the United States in space and competing yep. on commercial, civil and military fronts. And now we go back to my age again. I remember when we didn't even we looked at the Soviet Union when we went to the moon and we said we beat you. Now we've got all this competition, all these people putting satellites up and, and we, you know, we, we better we better get in the game. 
I, yes, this report's fascinating, and we're, we keep plugging it, but folks should really go and check it out. All right, Jeannie, what is next for you? Well, mine is far less important than what Rick just mentioned. I am really, really looking forward to John Boehner's book coming out. I cannot wait to read this. I am such a, a legislative geek. And the attacks he has apparently in there, blaming you know Trump for the insurrection. He's drinking on the cover. The criticism of the Tea Party figures. Um, you know, I am just very, very excited to read John Boehner's book and to see what he has to say and apparently i shouldn't read it i should listen to I it i was just gonna because... say the, the the i think candidly the, the way to do the this audio. is to listen yeah, yeah. the audio book <laughs> go ahead Jeannie. well he apparently yeah. he apparently strays from the text in the audio <laughs> and, you know, and i think i think you get, you get a little bit more for your money if you get the audio <laughs> i was gonna say with some with some words we can't say on the air apparently so i'm excited to hear it <laughs> yeah, please, please don't please don't we've been so good you know, he, 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 you know, you know, he was, he was an interesting speaker because he was sort of, he, you know, he, he sort of wanted to try to herd a bunch of cats. And it was, it was, it was, it was really very difficult for him. And I, I, you know, I have a little, you know, my heart bleeds a little bit for because he did try to do that. And it got pretty nightmarish for him. He was really the, uh, like the, the, the first establishment Republican to go down in the populist tide that eventually birthed the Trump movement. If you, when you actually look, I don't know. I mean, or maybe Eric Canner who got primaried uh, by Dave Bratt. That was another one. Uh, all right. I'm going to let Greta go last in terms of what's next for her. What's next for me. I've been talking about it, but I, I think it bears repeating. It's this 2040 report that we, that came out today. Uh, it's been the threat of this show, the global trends report. It's out on the internet. Uh, just, you know, put on your search engine, uh, the, the Global Trends 2040 report, and it's by uh, the National Intelligence Council. And it really just breaks down the direction of really what's going to be the, the what's at stake over the next you know two decades and, and the shape of how technology is going to impact everything from national security, but also to, to day-to-day life. And as Greta alluded to, in, Nash, uh, in outer space and, and digital currency as well. Um, so if you're looking for a deep dive, just go to the source material and don't take my word for it. Read the source material and a more contested world is the title of it. Global trends, 2040, a more contested world. All right. Greta Van Susteren, what's next for you? Okay. Here's, here's the weirdest one. Here's what I'm following. I'm just fascinated. This is pretty strange, pretty off the charts. I'm fascinated by shipping for a number of reasons, not just what happened in the Suez Canal a couple of weeks ago, but because we have so many problems with shipping that we don't even realize. We have all these container ships that get clogged in different places because of COVID. They don't have people to unload them or load them. People all of a sudden decide they want television, so they had interrupted supply chains. We've got battles over what's going to happen to these shipping lanes like the South China Sea. And so much of our goods that, get trans- that gets traded around the world gets, gets transported by our shipping industry. So I'm fascinated by the shipping industry, and, I, and I, uh, that's what I, I wish I could do a story on. That's what I want to do. Well, okay, I mean, this is interesting, Rick. I mean, global trade, and, and, and you know, we talked about Amazon and what's going down there in Alabama. But in terms of, of what Greta just mentioned, uh, global trade and the supply chains. We've learned a lot about supply chains during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has had a, a profound impact on so many different things in our economy that we sometimes don't even think about, like what the world infrastructure, the supply chain looks like when you start shutting down ports and people can't show up for their job. 
not everybody can work from home. If you're a stevedore and you're pulling stuff off of ships, you can't work from home. And so I do think what Greta is saying is, is really worth watching. I mean, there, if there's a, 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 an interesting byplay on, on Wall Street, it's people who literally track shipping containers all around the world to see like an early focus on what is going to unravel in these economies where they're headed. And if they're late or if they get diverted or, you know, what's on them. Or the COVID outbreak, a COVID outbreak in a port, and you've got six or seven container ships uh, backed up to be unloaded and loaded. You're right. I mean, I mean, Greta, what do you think in terms of just that, how that plays out, especially in U.S.-China relations, especially when the U.S. is obviously such a a major purchaser of so many of the exports coming from China? Well, not only that, but you've, you've got that problem. Then you've got the shipping lane um, the, in the China Sea, which everyone's fighting over. And China built an island in, the, in, in one part of the sea so that they can extend their border out, which is peculiar. Then you've got the fact that uh, China, while we were fighting the Iraq war, is, is doing these port deals around the country and, and building ports like in Pakistan and other places. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. And you wouldn't think shipping could be the least bit uh, electrifying or fascinating. But when you start digging into it and see what an impact it has, even in your own home, you know, when you order something, um, you know, Amazon's delivering things from China. They're not yeah. delivering things from Alabama or from their headquarters in New York. This stuff is all coming from China. So as interesting as Amazon is, it's getting its stuff on container ships. And Greta, can I just make a plug for a topic for your show? The the shortage yes. on, <laughs> if I may, the shortage of containers. I read a fascinating story on this point about this sort of unforeseen crisis in shipping pertaining to the shortage of containers and why we're in this situation and the difficulty it has created in terms of all of these yeah. issues of shipping. We got to go, folks, but this is the fun, fun panel. I got to say thanks to Rick and Jeannie and, of course, to my friend, my vaccine text message buddy, Greta Van Susteren. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.